for tuning in folks you are listening to the drew marshall show we're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca and of course we're live right here in southern ontario covering a population of six million six million people six million people <laughs> of course we have over 150 countries listening online thanks for tuning in one kill kenny too many already it's our saint patrick's day special <laughs> And we want to tell you about our next guest. Excited to have Grammy nominee, Brit Award winner, singer, songwriter, and violinist Sharon Corr. She, of course, has been hugely successful as both a member of legendary Irish group The Corrs and also as a solo artist. And look, much has been written about the incredible talent for melodies The Corrs exhibited throughout their 15-year career. 15 years, that's crazy. They've got this really unique blend of Celtic pop rock, and they've sold over 45 million albums. They toured arenas and stadiums across the globe with a string of massively successful albums and singles played to this day like Runaway, So Young, Radio, Breathless, it goes on. The Corps have been a household name on every continent. But when the Corps took time off to focus on their growing families, Sharon, while having her own two children, began her solo journey, enjoying the freedom of total artistic expression. In 2010, she released her self-penned first solo album, Dream of You, from 2011 to 13, Sharon was busy touring Europe, U.S., Australia, Australia, mate. In 2013, she released her second album entitled The Same Sun. In addition to singing, Sharon, by the way, has for two seasons been a coach on the hugely successful talent show The Voice. Sharon will be performing at Hughes Room Tuesday night, March 18th at 8.30 p.m. Do yourself a favor, make a dinner reservation, grab yourself some amazing seats. SharonCore.com is the website, and Sharon Core is on the phone. I hope. Hello, Sharon Core. I am. Hi. How that are you? Impressive. <laughs> you are impressive. You Thank really, you. You really are impressive. Where are you? Like you're just all over the place. I looked at your tour page on your website, and uh, it looks like you're running from the law. Where the heck are you right now? It's actually crazy. I'm actually in bed right now. Would you believe it? I'm. Um, I'm in Philadelphia. We just got here. I played New York City Winery last night, Connecticut the night before. I've been all, I started in New Zealand about three weeks ago, um, and then I've just started the States and Seattle, worked the way down across Texas, and then up, you know, sort of Atlanta, Georgia, and then, my God, Washington. I've been everywhere. Yeah, I've been (laughs) everywhere. So I went back to bed today because I went, okay, I need like an hour of sleep, and then I can go again tonight in Philadelphia. Good for you. I'm sorry to wreck your sleep. I've, I've, no, it's cool. Thank you. It's not the first time I've wrecked someone's sleep. So listen, that just sounded weird, didn't it? Sorry about that. Uh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like every interview that you do, somebody brings up Miss Twitter UK. And uh, what, oh, I yeah. want, what I want to know is, like, did you get... A sash? Do you get a crown? Do you get like a bird's nest crown in your hair or something? I mean, what is that? What happens? Anything would have been good. I'm still waiting on that. And I think I won it like three years ago. So I'm still waiting on the crown or whatever goes with it. But there's been nothing in the post so far. Right, right. Okay. All yeah. right. Um, I, I found out that you grew up in Dundalk, which is kind of hilarious because... Uh, there is a Dundalk, obviously named uh, after your Dundalk, right where I live. Except the people from Dundalk, especially the women, yeah, uh, don't look anything like you. Uh, <laughs> the number one pickup line in Dundalk is "Hey, baby, nice tooth." Ah, oh, just the one tooth. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. 
So it would be surprising for them to have, you know, I, I now call you Julia Bullock because you, you look like a mix of both those two women. It, it would just be a surprise to have someone like you walking around Dundalk. So tell me about Dundalk that you grew up in. Oh, wow. Well, it's a small town on the um, east coast of Ireland between Dublin and Belfast. It's exactly in between both of them. Um, and a uh, great culture of music there. So uh, my, both my parents were musicians, and apart from their day jobs, they, they sang and played in their own band every weekend. So we were kind of brought up on a diet of music. Um, and, yeah, a very nurturing town musically, um, a very interesting town, a little troubled at stages because we were kind of the first town um, in the south, just coming from the border. So when there were uh, so many troubles going on in Northern Ireland, a lot of people fled there, and their first stop um, was um, Dundalk. So I suppose it got a bit of reputation as being um, a little bit dangerous and that sort of thing. But I think all, all that serves for great creativity, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a story that arms were stored in the school by a yeah. caretaker. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually what I was thinking about when I was saying that to you. I mean, Dundalk is very beautiful, very beautiful landscape, and that, that gets missed sometimes. We had this, what I would have thought was like the loveliest janitor in the world. You know, you'd arrive into school and he'd go, give me a smile, and we'd smile. And he was a really, really, really sweet man, but he obviously worked for the IRA. You know, he was obviously a member of the IRA, and eventually they discovered that he was storing arms above the gymnasium in our school. And these things really come at a, uh, as a shock, you know, when you see this guy every day and he seems like a completely regular guy. But, you know, people were radicalized by what went on there and there were reasons for, you know, I would never ever um, um, in any way advocate violence. But I think that when people are severely radicalized on one side or the other, that's what occurs, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I was there uh, let's see, I flew into Belfast, I guess it'd be about four years ago, and I came off the plane, I had no plans, no reservations, no car rental, I, yeah. I just all I had was a bag, and I arrived about 6.30 in the morning, and, and I love doing that, just showing up somewhere with with nothing planned. Yeah. And the first thing I did was I, I hired a black ca- a black cab driver yeah. to, to take me through the Troubles uh, District, and uh, yeah. you know, and this guy was brilliant. You know, I, I expected a bit of the Walt Disneyized version, you know, and hyping it up and a bit of BS here and there, but yeah, boy, this guy was solid. And uh, yeah. I mean, the murals tell a story, do they not? Uh, they do. Yeah, they really do tell a huge story, and, and I mean, they're very. When terrible tragedies occurred in Belfast. I mean, you know, it was, it was really an awful time. My, my husband is actually from Belfast, and his whole family lived through the t- troubles. An interesting thing is that they had actually emigrated to Canada. Huh, really? They did. Yeah, 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 they did. And um, his mom got really, really, really homesick, and she didn't feel that they were settling. And uh, they all went back, but they went back to the height of the troubles in Belfast. So they've all experienced that firsthand. Well, I was able to sh- uh, scoot over. We were from County Tyrone, and I so I went over to, to uh, uh, where our family was from, in Oma, yeah. of course. And, if, yeah. you know, the whole, uh, well, they, they called in the bomb down here, but it was really up here, and everyone kind of went to it. was just, anyway, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. By the way, sorry, my dad's family are all from Tyrone. Are they really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, is there an ugly woman in the family? No. Cousin? Come on. Aunt? What about some ginger <laughs> ginger stepchild or something? Come on. Uh, 
like, well, there's a possibility, but I'm not going to name them. <laughs> <laughs> not live on air, anyway. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, Big Brother Jim, if I get this right, is six years older. Uh, you're yeah. three years older than Carolyn and four years yeah. older than Andrea. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Tell me about the best fight you ever had, because you're all Irish, oh, so there must yeah. have been a plate-throwing incident. Oh, I, you know a lot. You, you know a lot, because there was a plate-throwing incident, <laughs> and it was seconds before we got on stage, and you know, you know what happens with family. It's kind of like you try to be diplomatic for... Um, so long and then it just erupts into just sheer barbarism you know <laughs> and uh, Jim was actually firing fl- plates across the room at us because we were irritating him so much oh uh, there was a battle for control within the band at stages and then you know pecking order yeah. does get in the way it becomes an issue because you know it was adhered to at home and then you get into a, ba- into a band and everybody goes no but we're all equal now and then, so that just takes some getting used to, you know. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my, my thing would be, you know, for us, it was, you know, I believe one of our greatest successes was that we were actually still talking to each other at the end of it all. You know, it was, it, that was a miracle, you know. Uh, I, I heard you say that you write on your own. Yeah. Because your family thinks you smell. That was a joke. <laughs> of course. Of course that was a joke. Um, I, you know what? I did write on my own a lot, like songs like So Young and Radio. I wrote on my own in a hotel room. And, um, yeah, I kind of wrote all my songs on, on, on my own. Um, it was just my way of, you know, verifying that I was good at what I did. And I, I never wanted any sort of um, crutches when it came to writing. I, I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it on my own. Um, and I, I suppose it was kind of a comfort zone for me, you know. So, uh, Sharon, I mean, you know, what have you discovered about the cores as a result of not working together? Uh, you know, that's very interesting because the further it um, is away, it's kind of like, you know, I see things every so often and that I didn't remember, you know, like amazing moments, you know. And I, the other day I was online and I don't know, I was looking for something in particular um, and I, you know, came across this uh, footage of a day in the life of us in Sydney, Australia. And it was just footage of um, a normal day of ours at the time, which was completely abnormal because it was just 24 hours work. It was interviews, photo shoots, gigs, acoustic sessions. It was quite incredible. And it was just looking back and seeing us all during that period was amazing. So I kind of, I, I take a lot of pride in what we achieved. I think, I think we did something really quite special out there and pretty unusual. So it's kind of nice to look back, you know, but... I'm very much a person who looks forward, and I'm loving what I'm doing now. I'm absolutely adoring my solo career, and I probably would say I'm happiest now, really, on stage. You know? R- really? Yeah, very oh. much so. Yeah. yeah. So are are you the um, are you the Michael of the of the Irish Jacksons, or is that Andrea? I don't know. I mean, gosh, I, I think Michael was a very troubled person. So yeah, sorry, like, sorry. That's not, okay. So is it, what you're saying is it's Andrea. Okay, all right. We just want to clear that up. Obviously, I meant in terms of going on to a solo career. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's for me, it's kind of not a it's not a thing of competition. It's it, this is something I need to do. When, when the course stopped, I knew I had so much more to do, and I never wanted to stop playing, singing, and writing, and performing, and 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 just achieving more as a musician. And I was very eager to pursue my own journey, just to find out what I would become musically yeah. on my own, because it's a very different 
journey on your own and especially taking center stage as well for me i knew i could and i knew i wanted to and um it's been incredibly fulfilling i love it up there it's like it's like magic you know it's just beautiful uh who was who was cooler this is sort of a typical interview question who was cooler uh the president the pope or the queen the president really like we're, we're talking about bush right we're not talking about Bush. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's like the opposite of cool. <laughs> I would be talking about, if I was thinking of a great president, I mean, you know, I would think Clinton. I don't, you know, the impeachment to me I thought was unfair. I don't think his personal life should have affected his presidency. I really don't. I think that's really too harsh. I think, you know, as a political animal, I think he was just quite incredible. He also did an awful lot to broker the peace um, in in Northern Ireland. You know, so, I mean, I have a real soft spot for, for, for Bill Clinton. I think he was pretty amazing, actually. So, but who was the president you played for? I played for Bill Clinton, okay. and we also played for Bush before he sent everybody into you see, Afghanistan, you see. And might I say, because I would have reconsidered it. I knew you played for Bush. That's why I kind of Yeah, we did. That. We played at Capitol Hill. Right. Yeah. I, I never knew that Bono yeah. was so demanding. How do you put up with it? I mean, for him to say, I need you to play in a song, and I need you to do it now. I mean, most people give you at least 48 hours notice, but come on. They do. I mean, but it was Bono, you know, and most people I would I would just tell them to go get lost. But, I, you know, because I really wouldn't take dictation from many. But actually, it's kind of like Bono works off pure inspiration and he's a very free spirit and a very beautiful person. Um, and we've become really good friends over the years. And, you know, he's very huggy and he's just a, he's a nice guy, you know. Okay, Sharon, um, Sharon, ev- yeah. everybody is huggy with you. Really? Yeah. Really? Yes. Even you? No. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> no. No. I'm just Not saying. Not you. Okay. But, uh, um, yeah, no, he's sweet. So, you know, when he asked me, I kind of thought, well, I could say no because I haven't had enough warning, or I can just go and be brave. So I went and I was brave. But he didn't even did he didn't even invite you to the Oscars. No, that's true. I know. This well, is I the must per- have had something else on at the time. <laughs> In fact, I'm sure I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, okay, so you you played 100,000 in Nuremberg with the Stones. You played to 45,000 in Dublin. By the way, was Sinead at that concert? Sinead O'Connor? Yeah. I don't know. Why? Well, I I just figured, you know, all the cool people would show up in Dublin, and she she would be kind of cool. And if there were 45,000 there... Well... You know what? She could have been, but I don't really remember. That That was like the biggest concert, you know, because it was a homecoming and it was kind of seriously pressured concert, if you know what I mean. Right. I mean, it was a hugely successful one. But I remember kind of, it. the whole thing was like in slow motion for me. I was barely, you know, there. It was kind of that sort of hype involved in it. It was a very surreal experience. Um, but yeah, wow. it was huge. Yeah. So uh, have you ever, <laughs> this is a setup. Have you ever okay. choked in a conversation with a star? Choked. I choke a lot, actually, because I'm usually laughing so much that, and then I, I, I forget that I shouldn't drink while I'm laughing. <laughs> and I tend No, to... I don't mean that. I, I mean, I... come on. You, you know, like, for example, when you were chatting with Neil Finn from Crowded House. Oh, couldn't speak. Just couldn't speak. That's what I mean. Starstruck. Utterly. 
I would be actually um, pretty shy when it comes to things like that. And I've done really stupid things as well. Like I was in a lift in Dublin, you know, like an elevator in Dublin one day. And um, Gwen Stefani got in, you know, and um, I'm, I started humming, you know, don't think that I know what you're doing, you know, her song. And then I was oh, God, this is mortifying. I'm singing her song beside her in the lift. <laughs> Who does that? I don't know. Me. That's a shocker. Uh, <laughs> that is a shocker. I, uh, I was at my attorney's office in L.A. one time, and I went out in the hall to take a call, and there was another yeah. guy in, on his cell phone taking a call, and he yeah. was talking really loud, like, you know, loud cell phone talkers. I'm not a big yeah. fan of those people. Okay. So, okay. I, so I gave him a stink eye, <laughs> and he kind of gave me the stink eye back, and then I just realized this is a useless thing, so I went back into the meeting. Yeah. Said, some idiot out there is Mr. Loud Talker in his cell phone. He yeah. said, I, they said, is he a black man? He said, yeah. Oh, does he kind of have a, like a, a, a slant in his hair? He said, yeah. Okay, he gets to talk louder in this office. It was Will I Am. So. Oh, oh. It didn't work slagging him off in the office. I tried. Oh, well. Anyway. Well, I, you know, everybody deserves a slagging off, so I think oh. just go for it, you know. So, we're, uh, all, we're all just people. Uh, who do you think is hotter? Uh, Johnny Depp or George Clooney? George Clooney by like one mile or I don't know, like a hundred miles or well, what about I those, met him. What about I those smoky him. brown eyes of Depp that you that made you you and the girls giggle? At? No, you know, it did do that and it was weird. I was kind of, see, I've met both of them and if I had to weigh it up, I would say definitely George. But, but, but Johnny caught us unaware because we were backstage at a Niggy Pop concert uh, in France and um, my manager now, he also manages manages Iggy Pop and he knows Johnny Depp. And so anyway, he said, girls, will I bring him back to, you know, he wants to meet you. And we're like, okay, cool. And we're like, not phased, not generally phased by men really at all, you know, especially if they're cute. It's like, it's it doesn't matter. Um, and uh, anyway, Johnny That's came fortunate in. for me. Yes. He's wearing, he's wearing the shades, right? So he comes in, we're chatting away normally. And then he goes, so where where are you from? And while he's doing that, he lowers his glasses to the bottom of his nose. And this is the first glimpse of the brown eyes. And none of us could remember where we were from. Scotland. Listen, we had no idea. We couldn't get it together at all because his eyes were so beautiful. And then he left and we were in one of those porta cabin sort of things backstage, you mm. know, like these mobile units. And we burst into this stupid, girly, giggly laughter. And then realized he was just outside the open window. (laughs) (laughs) Mortifying. Uh, Well done. Well done. Now, were you that dopey with George? No, George, I handled myself better. I was in the corridor at the Live 8 concert in Edinburgh. And, I mean, that was just like, it was star-tastic that day. Mm. Um, my husband told me that Catherine Zeta-Jones gave him the eyes. I think it was wishful thinking, <laughs> but, you know, anyway. And um, anyway, I'm in the corridor, and I'm I'm sipping on a nice beer with the boys in the corridor, as I do. Mm. And um, anyway, this guy comes down the corridor, and there's a bit of an entourage behind him, and then I go, oh, Jesus, it's George Clooney. Sorry, excuse my language. <laughs> I am Irish, so you have to make allowances. It's a totally different and, culture. I get it. Yep. I know. So Sorry about that. But anyway, um, uh, George is comes up, and then he literally just goes straight for me, and he goes, 
puts his hand out and goes, hi, I'm George. And I went, oh, hi, I'm Sharon. And he goes, I know. And I was like, you're, I mean, you're acting so well now, George, but I do really appreciate the compliment. <laughs> Uh, do, do you think it, like, was, was he yeah. was he single at the time? Oh, who cares? I don't know. I, no, I, don't I just know. don't know. Was I was just like, wondering if he was maybe you know uh, moving in, uh, cracking onto you. I I I I don't know. I mean, I never saw him again after that, so probably not. Okay. He just probably does that with all the girls. Yeah, because he can. Because he can. Yeah. You know, I'm straight as they come, but I'd tap that. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, oh my god, that's hilarious! So fifteen years of touring, thirty-five million albums, music videos, blah 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 blah. By the way, when was the last time you, Bono, Geldof, Sinead, Van, and Liam Neeson all kind of had tea together? Because uh, don't you do that? I don't you guys all hang out? Liam Neeson last year. Huh? Uh, oh my god! Oh, actually, pretty much all of us were together together on a famous. Irish TV show last year and it was the Late Late Show which is like the it's like the Letterman yeah. of, uh, of you know the States and um, uh, we were all there to celebrate the kind of 50 years celebration of that so I was Liam oh he is a sweetheart and he's got these giant hands they're like big spades you know <laughs> and he got my hand in his hands and it was so comforting just they're like big gloves but he's the most sincere he's such a sweet guy Shane um, from the Pogues was there and a little bit worse for the wear as usual <laughs> right um, and yeah Bono was there uh, I'm not even sure Bob Geldof was there um, yeah but it was pretty amazing night yeah. um, I, I uh, when I was over there over in Ireland I was driving up the coast towards the Giants Causeway and all the yeah. you know the stuff up there and I was I was flicking through the radio because I'm a radio guy so I like to kind of go through and see what's on and what people are doing next yeah. thing you know I hear this guy rattling on taking the Mickey out of his out of his producer and they're you know kind of this banter back and forth and yeah. all of a sudden they're taking calls oh we got a call and then lady calls in and says I uh, just want to let everyone know that my parents were on the way to the airport and in the back of the truck, the two suitcases fell off on the M, whatever it is. So if anyone sees a pair of suitcases on the M, whatever it is, you let us know. I'm thinking, what the heck is this? Yeah. So all of a sudden, a few minutes later, yeah, we're on the M, whatever it is, and here's we've got the suitcases here. This is the most ridiculous radio I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and it was Jerry Anderson's show on BBC Four Ulster, right up in London. Jerry Anderson, yeah, up course. in London Stroke Derry. And boy, that was just. I, and ever since then, I've I've listened. I've tuned in every once in a while. It's just. It's very, um, yeah. It's very parochial and quite beautiful. For yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, so your son Cal is going to be eight, I think, in a couple of weeks. That's right. And uh, Flory will be seven in a few months. So a year up, a year apart. Very planned. Is that you, Sharon? Cora? No. Totally unplanned. Flory was a complete surprise. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I was pregnant with Flory six months after I delivered Cal. Wow. That was not the plan. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Didn't even have time to do road repairs. My goodness. <laughs> there was time for nothing, I can tell you. It was amazing, though. I'm, I'm very grateful for it, though, because they're so close. You know, so... Um, they're like little, we call them Irish twins, you know. 
So I would imagine having having children impacts you creatively. Like all of a sudden, are all your songs like lullaby songs, and they're all you know, you're the you're the apple in my eye kind of songs. No. It does impact you creatively, but from a very different point of view, it's like the blinkers come off. You kind of get jacked to the earth and you kind of feel all of the vulnerabilities. You know, you really feel yourself way more vulnerable because you are protecting two little ones. So, in fact, I see more the beauty and more the ugliness. You know what I mean? So I think it, it is very, it's very, very powerful. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of difficult to cope with all mums you know feel this and dads too but but mums especially when you've had children you do feel this kind of terror at bringing them into this world you know what i mean and then you kind of go i have to let that go because this is also a very beautiful place you know full of people feeling the same thing so i think it has improved my songwriting actually yeah uh my mom died uh gotta think now 25 years ago this month oh. Oh. Uh, on the same night my son was born oh wow and one of the things I have a couple of serious regrets of course one is that my my mom um, uh, died before meeting meeting my children yeah and the other is that I didn't get my act together until uh, until after my mom died so she never really saw me you know with a, oh. a fairly decent head on my shoulders wow am I praising yeah. myself or what mm-hmm. but but I would imagine for you that's got to be a kick in the guts not having mom around with with the kids yeah I mean I must say it's 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 i I don't really have luckily I don't have any regrets in 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 regards to my mom it's i i I have one tiny regret and it's the most kind of tiny little thing and it's kind of um you know one day I was so in love with my new boyfriend, which is now my husband at the time um and you know I was gonna go down to the house in Dundalk. And I wanted to get back to my boyfriend, and I didn't stay. And then I saw that she had cooked dinner for me. Mm. And, you know, that's just like one of those little regrets where you go, I should have stayed for dinner that night. You know, do you know what I mean? But, but you know, we had so much love between us. But, yeah, I mean, I regret that she didn't see any of us get married. I regret that she didn't um, meet her grandchildren because I just know that she would have... Um, adored it and I regret that she's not there for my dad now you know like I because they were just it was love at first sight for them they they loved each other so much it was just a a, a beautiful marriage and um, I know he misses her desperately so actually one of the songs on my album is is very much about losing her and missing her it's called Christmas Night but um, yeah I mean but you know I don't know, that's just life, isn't it? You have to take these things and you have to move on. And my mom saw absolutely amazing things for us. Oh, that's good. Oh, she saw the success. That's great. That was wonderful, you know. Well, diagnosed in in, in April, I believe. Died nine months later in in November. uh, waiting Waiting for a lung transplant, apparently. Is that right? Yeah, she was, but she was too far gone. It was, it was, she just, it just, she had a very, very... Uh, rare lung disease called fibrosing alveolitis, right. um, which basically means that the body works against itself and it just the lung scars and basically scars over the um, alveoli. And anyway, it's you know too much to go into. But but yeah, it is it was extremely rare. We don't know where she got it from. She wasn't a smoker. She was a very healthy woman. Absolutely beautiful singer, like outrageously beautiful singer. But you know, this this is what life. Does isn't it? You know, Sharon. Do you think that your that your mom's death um, had any impact on your father's 
spirituality on on your father's Catholicism because yes you, oh do you yes. do really oh I know it did so yeah. like like in other words uh, what what the hell were you doing God kind of thing yeah for sure yeah. I I I know that my dad really struggled with his faith after it um, I think that because my my dad grew up in an era where you didn't question um, religion you didn't you didn't question any aspect of it and of course none of it's not perfect you know um right. so so and then you know life life changed as he was growing up you know the 60s hit the late 60s hit the 70s hit and the world was changing and you know um and i think he got through all of those decades without it ever uh, at ever any stage doubting um but when he lost mom he really he really really struggled he really did but but i think yeah, I think he's gotten over that now, you know, and perhaps he sees it from a more real point of view now, you know, and, and, and maybe he can take what he feels is the right stuff in it and maybe, because, you know, it, it is not perfect, right. but the idea is a good one, if you know what I mean, um, uh, and the basis is a good one, the, the, the Christian beliefs are are good and positive for people in general um so i i think he takes kind of sucker from the good parts now you know and and and, and i think it's back but it, yeah for sure and i think most people do in fact you know oh for sure for sure yeah i heard uh, your sister andrea say in an interview that she has no doubts about god do you yeah yes i do have yeah. doubts yeah yeah i do and i and i'm i'm and i'm i'm okay with that i i'm for me, the most important thing in the world is, is that I'm a good person um, and that there's a special bond between all of us that, you know, um, I, I think community is the most important thing. I think that we that we treat each other well and that we look out for each other. Um, sometimes I find in, in truth that there are so many different religions that sometimes they're so set up against each other that we're losing the focus of what it's about in the first place. You know, um, so I suppose I just I, I try to take from it what I think are the very the core values, excuse the pun, mm. but the core values that are nourishing and good for the soul. And I find that through music, I find a religion, if you know what I mean. I find, you know, in that room, in concert, there are so, there, well, most nights there is a point where there is this perfect communion mm -hmm. in the room. And because music has a thing of speaking beyond words. It's like the perfect excla explanation um, because words are never enough. They don't fully no. describe. We need the eyes and we need the actions to, to, to complete what we're trying to say. But when you add music in there, it comes straight from the heart and the soul and we all recognize it. And the beauty of it is that it unites people. It truly unites people. It's never negative. Um, in a room where people go to see a concert, they're together. Yeah. Well, know, they're at one. I remember, I remember a few years ago when I was interviewing James Brown, um, mm. you know, he said uh, during his concert, you know, you might have come in here with burdens, you know, that old sort of black Southern church, you know, yeah. uh, speech yeah. kind of thing. You might have come in here with burdens, but folks, tonight we're going to do a little bit of church and, uh, and those yeah. burdens are going to come off and we want you to leave lifted. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's really one of the reasons. So this, this show that I do is four hours every Saturday and the last, yeah. typically the, the last hour of the show, 
I um, showcase a local singer-songwriter. Yeah. Because of what you just said, Sharon, because in my life anyway, music has penetrated my soul um, more than words most times. Yeah. Yeah. It it does. It's it's this, it's a universal language. It, for me, if I, you know, like when I write, I can be having the worst day ever. I can't really explain why I'm having a bad day or what's going on, or if I genuinely have troubles and I know what they are. When I write, I get it out, I release it, and it moves into the music, and then I feel so much better. And then when people hear it, because it's the truth, because it's vulnerable, because it's honest, they identify with it. And they feel nourished and they feel understood and that's the whole point of music and great literature and great art is that we're really talking to each other and we're actually helping each other through it i can't tell you how many people have written me letters and gone that song helped me get through this Mm. and you know that's not what you intend it's it's definitely a beautiful byproduct and i would love to intend it but really it's a self-release if you know what i mean um but that sort of vulnerability and honesty is how we speak to each other truly. We're too guarded. We're way too guarded. And, you know, sometimes we have to be. But in concert, we don't have to be. And that's the difference. You are, you are allowed to let your guard down. When people come into my concert and when I say hello to them, every night I go, leave your troubles behind. This is where you are free. You can have fun. This is music. This is ent- entertainment. This is nourishment for the soul. So let it all go. And that's what I say almost every night on stage. Very well said. Uh, of course, Sharon will be performing at Hughes Room this coming Tuesday night, March 18th at 8.30 p.m. Really one of the premier listening venues in the GTA. They have some fantastic gigs there. Uh, tonight is Rant Maggie Rant, which is the Celtic band we just had do an hour in studio. They blew us away. Wow. They're, they're playing there tonight. But Tuesday night, March 18th, 8.30 p.m., back at Hughes Room. Do yourself a favor, make a dinner reservation, and grab yourself some amazing seats. HughesRoom.com. Sharon, just before we we say goodbye, one lighthearted question and one kind of uh, serious question. So we'll we'll do the serious thing first. Okay. Sinead O'Connor said to me a couple of years ago that you can't grow up in in Ireland and not have an opinion about religion. Yeah. Do you think that growing up where you grew up, experiencing what you experienced, has had any sort of residual impact on your faith, on your spirituality, on what you think about church or religion or even Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, I think the way I grew up and the way I experienced um, religion left me feeling very negative about it. Yeah. I I find it very hard to see the positives because it felt more like um, controlled oppression than it did about something that was truly valuable for people and for the community, specifically from the point of view of a woman. Um, Women were very marginalized by the church in Ireland. Um, We were told to give up our our work. We were told to go home, look after the babies. It was never our, you know, it was, if it had been our own choice, we would probably have made it. But the problem is, is you need to be able to make your own choices. Things like my mother, you know, when when she fell pregnant, you know, she had to go to a box at the back of the church because she was therefore unpure and could not join the regular congregation until she had had the baby and had gone through a ceremony called churching, which was to cleanse her of the sin. 
And so so you know, that sort of thing creates a lot of negativity. Yeah. It did at the time. And the, the the dreadful thing about it was it was sexist because my dad wasn't on pure after making a baby with my mum. My mum was on pure. <laughs> she committed the sin. So it, things like that. And then the whole, I don't want to go into it too deeply because it's too upsetting, but the whole child abuse they, uh, and, and the... the I, I suppose it was facilitated um, and it was covered up in such a way that was absolutely appalling and to me is a-religious, it's anti-religion, that sort of, that attitude and, and what was done there. So there were a lot of reasons, almost it's like the church were pushing us away on so many levels. Um, so, you know... Um, yeah, uh, I mean, that's just, that's the truth sure. of it, and that's, that's where Sinead would be coming up. Uh, you know, we grew up at the same time in Ireland, under the same conditions. Right. You know, you know I just had Patsy McGarry on the show earlier. He is the religion affairs correspondent with the Irish Times, and, and he, yeah. he and I were chatting about the, mm. just the, the, the child abuse stuff. And I, yeah. I, I actually had to do the same thing. I had to stop talking about it, because it just... Yeah, okay. So, all right, let's, yeah. let's end on a light note, shall we, if you don't sure. mind. A couple of trivia questions for you. Ready? By the way... You're playing for $100 cash for Alex, the intern, who's sitting here in studio trying to stay awake because he doesn't know okay. you. He doesn't know who you are. He doesn't care. Okay, Alex. I Okay, well, then I'm not going to try and win it for you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alex, wake up and pay attention. All right, all right. Here we go. Question number one. Question number one. Okay. What religion were the Irish before Patrick converted them? What religion... Pagans. We were pagans. Excuse me, can I give you the options first? <laughs> were they, number okay. one, Jewish? Were, no. <laughs> were they, two, Zoroastrian? Now I know uh, that Sinead would have loved that one. Uh, were they, number three, pagan, or number four, deist? And the answer, Sharon Core is pagan. Yes. Ding, 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 well done. Question number one? Yes, thank you. All right, question number two. Are you ready? Yeah. Which World Heritage Site that I just visit in October, which would make a fantastic location for a Sharon Core music video? The Giant's Causeway. No. Newgrange. No. By the way, oh. by the way, Alex doesn't get 100 bucks now. This is so good. Hey, hang on a second. You didn't give me any options. No, there's no multiple choice in this one. World Heritage Site. Which World Heritage Site did I just visit in October, which would make a fantastic location for a Sharon Core music video? Oh, sorry, it's not in Ireland. No. Granada, the Alhambra Palace. Yeah! <laughs> Fantastic! Doesn't count, but well right. done. Don't, don't deny me that one, I got it right. <laughs> Very well done. Man, is that a cool place or what? My favorite place in the world. Those gardens? So Come on, the gardens? Oh, I know, it's beautiful. And by the way, Michelle Obama was in the next day. Really? So I got there before Michelle Obama. Exactly. Nice. All right. Here we go. Uh, next, uh, this is the third out of four. You have one more after this, and this is the this that would make this one the third one. See how good I am in math. Um, okay. According to his confessions, Saint Patrick was ashamed of his number one tendency to lie, number two poor Latin vocabulary, number three fear of snakes. Number four, lack of zeal in praying. Oh, my God. Fear of snakes. I don't know. <laughs> so so you're going to go with fear I'm of snakes. Fear of snakes. 
So that's that's your final answer. Fear, oh, fear of snakes. Yeah. Really? That's the one. It's either that or seeing and praying. Well, yeah, both of those are horribly wrong. So once again, once again, Alex gets zero, zero money, zero money. The answer was his poor Latin vocabulary. Poor oh, Latin sorry. vocabulary. All right, the final, final, <laughs> the final trivia question for Sharon Core. Mm-hmm. What was the last article of clothing you bought online? By the, by the way, I don't know the answer, so you can say whatever you want. If I did know the answer, that would be really creepy. I, I'm telling the truth. It was actually underwear. Oh, come on! <laughs> there you go. I did not want to hear that. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but it's the truth. You asked me a question. You have the scariest lawyer husband in the world. There's no chance. <laughs> I don't want to get anywhere near that. Sharon Core, you have been so fun to chat with. You too. I, I might... I might pop down to the concert. I think it'll be a fan. No, I am. I'm going to come down. Uh, Tuesday night, March 18th, uh, 8.30 p.m. at Hughes Room, and you're in for a treat. Grammy-nominated recording artist Sharon Kaur. You can go to her website and buy all her stuff. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Drew. I'll see you then, okay? That'd be great, Sharon. You take care. Bye-bye. Sorry, Alex. (laughs) Bye. He's already asleep. He doesn't care anymore. (laughs) All right, folks. There you go. Sharon Kaur on the Drew Marshall Show on our St. Patrick's Day special. We'll be right back. Hey folks, I want to tell you about the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. You ready for this? For 1250, that's right, only $12.50, we'll mention your organization's name, website, and a brief description. Did you catch that? During each show, we'll read out your organization's name, website, and a brief description for only $12.50. Now, obviously, there's no point in doing that only once during a four-hour show, so we'll read your advertisement four times per show for an entire month, and each time we do it, it'll only cost you $12.50. It's kind of like putting an advertisement up on every church bulletin in the GTA, except you don't have to get permission from that grumpy old lady at the front desk. Now look, because there are limited spots available for our 1250 special, why don't you call us right now, toll-free, on 877-JOY-1250. Now sure, we're right in the middle of things here in the show, but if you call us right now, toll-free, on 877-JOY-1250, we'll take your name and number and call you back on Monday to sign up for the Drew Marshall Show 1250 special. This is nuts. Are you sure we want to do this? How am I supposed to make any money?